Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by fans. I'm Joel. I'm Kim. And today we are looking back on round four at the French Open. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Kim, we are almost there. We're almost at the end of round four at the French Open. Karenio Busta is literally about to win uh, the last round four match in the men's section. We've actually got one more round four match to play in the women's draw, which has actually been delayed and will be on uh, first thing tomorrow morning. I mean, this this round really, I think kind of the main stories out of it are the, the weather unfortunately has reared its ugly head and made it a bit stop-starty, but when we have had play on court, we have had some of the the biggest upsets of the competition so far. And of course, one of them, probably the biggest upset across the whole tournament so far, Simona Hallett, number one seed, hot favourite, going out in a ridiculously surprising fashion. Um, I mean, it was developing whilst we were recording our round three catch up. But um, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the that's really the only place we can start because that was one of the not only was that result unexpected but the the scoreline as well was you know doubly unexpected and I mean Sviontek really just it was a breakthrough performance from her wasn't it absolutely I mean we did actually capture that performance live on our latest pod I mean the result rather we 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 were kind of live updating during because I was sort of yeah, I couldn't really believe what I was seeing. I, I mean, we knew that Sviontek was going to be a different uh, opponent uh, this time last year because you know she's had an extra year on the circuit to mature and and get that you know experience against top players under her belt. But I don't think anyone expected the fashion of of her victory. You know, she just didn't put a foot wrong. She was playing with such kind of variety, and and I mean, Halep, you know, didn't play badly. She just couldn't really do anything to to kind of withstand what Sviontek was coming up with. And I mean, if Sviontek can keep that form up, you know, she's um, she's playing Trevisan tomorrow. And I mean, Sviontek is obviously the higher ranked player in that in that match. So arguably is the favourite. And then, I mean, I don't see why she can't go on and win the whole tournament. You know, we saw it happen with Yelena Ostapenko a few years ago. There's absolutely no reason why just because she's unseeded and outside the top 50, she can't go all the way after what we've seen. Um, similarly, though, Joel, I don't want to get too carried away and I can totally see her perhaps not playing so well and uh, it going the other way. You know, it's it's all up in the air still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always a question, isn't it, if, you know, of, of upsets of this magnitude is whether you can, you can back it up because... Um, you know, she, I think, you know, a lot of people now are seeing her as the favourite, you know, forget rankings, forget seeds. She just beat Simona Halep, who, you know, had 
you know, just annihilated Anisimova. Um, and yeah, I think she's, I think, you know, to, for a lot of people, she's inherited that position, you know, as the, as the top favorite. I mean, the, the thing that was kind of most impressive to me about it was, you know, literally this time last year, I mean, well, I would say literally, I mean, this time last year at the French Open, um, you know, it was a, it was Halep versus Sviantec and Halep absolutely bulldozed her, you know, love and I think it was like love and one. Um, and we've had a complete role reversal, um, you know, 12, you know, 12, 16 months on or whatever. I mean, yeah, it's just, it, I mean, it just makes, te- it just makes you realize how fascinating and compelling tennis can be because, you know, you can have those matches and you can learn from them. And then you can have a moment further down in time where you can, you know, make good on kind of all the, uh, you know, learning that you've done over the last 12 months and, um, you know, right that wrong. And I think Sviantec really, um, you know, had just, just played remarkably well. And she started so quickly that it kind of reminded me actually of Simona Halep versus Serena Williams in that Wimbledon final. It was just kind yes. of like Halep, Halep was really... She couldn't even kind of you know stay intact really, and um, you know bef- <laughs> I think kind of the the thing I was kind of noticing was the fact that you know because of you know the format of the you know the women's draw is best of three sets, you know when a player does have such a fast start um, like Sviantec did, it's you know there's not it, it, there's less kind of time to have sort of you know a recovery phase before you can kind of you know go back into assault mode, and you know Halep didn't have that obviously didn't have that luxury and ultimately was just kind of left by the wayside yeah I think sometimes though you know Halep I'm sure will be kind of ruining the fact that you know she she was coming into this tournament on a you know big win streak hot favorite but at the end of the day she just came up against a player who was inspired and probably would have beaten any player I think on that day much like Simona Halep against Serena in that Wimbledon final last year it was kind of just one of those kind of spellbinding performances really that you kind of just have to take your hat off to it in a way. And I mean, it's a shame because I, is there something that, you know, Halep came a cropper to Anissimova last year. Um, maybe, I don't know, because Sviantec was obviously extremely attacking and, you know, Halep's much more of a defensive player. She's kind of grafting a lot and getting it all back, but it there wasn't really anything she could take to Sviantec. And it is maybe an issue when Halep comes up against players who are playing lights out. Does she have an answer, um, especially if they go kind of, you know, five love up in in 20 minutes or something and, and it's a massive kind of breakaway at the start? I don't know. Perhaps that's something that she needs to think about. But I think if it had been any other player the other day, Halep would have won. And I mean, I just I feel like it's just the luck of the draw that she, you know, faced her. And it was just a bit of bad luck, really. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, now, uh, now Sviontek will be, you know, people, I mean, the bookies have her actually as, the favourite in some cases. Will Sviontek realise that? Will she now think, oh, I've got this pressure on me? You know, people are expecting things of me. Is that going to change things with her performance from now on? That's what I'm intrigued to find out. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously she's, I think she's, what you know, 19 years old. Great, great, another great prospect for the, you know, the women's game. And, you know, at the moment there are obviously those comparisons, you know, with her, you know, Polish background um, to, you know, a player like, Aga Radvanska, who, you know, was a fantastic player, you know, back in her day. 
Um, but obviously we put Radvanska in that category of, you know, some of the best players never to, never to have won a Grand Slam. And, um, you know, I think kind of looking at kind of, yeah, Sviontek's performance, you know, do you, where, where do you kind of see her going? Do you think she could be a world number one? Is she going to be a Grand Slam champion? Is he going to be a multiple, you know, Grand Slam champion? I think, you know, these are kind of questions we're kind of interested to see, you know, how they develop and, um, Although kind of Halilip, I think, will be kind of kicking herself at the, you know, at this kind of missed opportunity because it was it was a missed opportunity. At the same time, uh, Sviontek's going to be looking at this to be like, hey, this is going to be my, this is going to be my big moment. Yes, she had a big breakthrough match, but now she's got the opportunity to make it her big breakthrough slam. And, you know, we've seen that. We've seen that uh, happen in the past. It does happen. It can happen at the French Open. Um so um yeah we will we will see um but yeah i mean svitolina is the the top seed left in the in the um in the top half of the draw but i mean she i don't think she's really got anything much to fear because you know we've got no uh, in the top half at the least we've not no you know grand slam champions it's all sort of i know svitolina's obviously been here before but um you know apart from that i mean yeah she's definitely going to be you know got bags of confidence in her to think that she can go on and win the thing yeah i mean svitolina now really if if you think about you know her and the other names in her side of the draw you would think on paper you know looking at ranking and previous performances at slams you think oh svitolina this is absolutely her best chance to you know, make a slam final for the first time, perhaps win it. Um, you know, we, we spoke to her coach, didn't we, Joel, earlier on this year, Andy Bettles. And, you know, that was very much obviously like her next goal was to actually kind of break through and make a final at a slam. And this is surely, you know, her best chance to do that. But I mean, she'll be looking at Shvontek thinking, well, you've done that to Halep. You know, what are you going to do to me if, you know, if they were to meet? I mean, Svitolina has Podoroska uh, in the quarters tomorrow. So you would expect Svitolina to come through that. Uh, you know, she's a very consistent player. She doesn't often turn up and, you know, play horrendous. Uh, she's, she, you know, you've got to beat Svitolina, basically. She's she's not going to sort of just lie down and, and let you kind of walk all over her. So it's not a certainty. You know, I don't think anything in 2020 is, uh, especially <laughs> not in the women's event at Roland Garros. But um, I mean, yeah, you've got to think looking at that, you've got to think really it would be a Sviontek Svitolina semi, but we do have the two qualifiers, you know, Trevisan and Podoroska, who have both done so incredibly well this tournament. Um, you know, Nadia Podoroska, she was ranked 255 at the start of this season. She's won a total of 42 matches, you know, this year. And, and you know, for half the year, there hasn't been any tennis for anyone to play. So <laughs> she's done that actually in, in a, only a handful of months, really. Uh, she's going to debut in the top 100 after her showing here which is great. And then obviously, you know, Trevis and she beat Kiki Burton's uh, yesterday in straight sets. Uh, you know, that was her first top 10 victory. I think it was only the second time she's actually played a top 10 player. I think her, her first appearance against a top 10 player was actually against Burton's last year. So, you know, she's kind of getting better and better, getting more confidence as she goes through each round, you know. Um, she, she, she's beaten Zachary, she's beaten Goff. I mean, she's now beaten Burton's. So she's not going to, you know, she's not going to be easy to beat either. No, and I think I think what, uh, you, know, you know, what it says with, you know, two qualifiers in, you know, the, the quarterfinals of the French Open, I think what it shows you, I think, is that, 
regardless of who your opponent is, if you can, if this season you're able to get lots of matches under your belt, regardless of who's facing you across the net, I think that has, you know, paid dividends. You know, you spoke about Podoroska and the fact that she's played and won 42 matches across all levels in, in 2020. I think, you know, the fact that if you just get on a court and win, it just gives you, just gives you confidence. It gives you momentum. And, uh, you know, similarly with similar with Trevisan, it, they're just kind of carrying that momentum, um, you know, forward. And it doesn't, it almost kind of takes, you know, rankings out the window. They just have this belief when they go on court based on, you know, based on all the matches that they've played. And, you know, if you kind of compare that to, you know, the top players and the top seeds who maybe haven't been able to, to get out on court as much or, um, you know, they've, you know, maybe fallen, uh, you know, in the first round or the second round in, in kind of the build up. Um, you know, they've almost kind of gone the opposite way. So, you know, I certainly think, you know, seeing these qualifiers here, it shows you the, you know, the, um, the importance of, of winning and almost the insignificance of, you know, who you're actually facing across the court. If you win, it's going to give you that confidence to, um, you know, to, to, to believe. And, and, you know, here we are, two qualifiers in the, French Open quarterfinals for the for the women. I think Joel, it's 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 also you know just this year like we've got two qualifiers in, in at this stage mm. and it it been Yaroslava Shvedera I think in 2012 and she was the last qualifier to do that. So it's been eight years. It's it's a long mm. time that we you know since we've actually seen this and now we've got two. Yeah, I mean it's very surprising and I, I, just adding that adding to that on on Svitolina. I mean my my always my question mark with Svitolina at Grand Slam is I always think that she can beat all the players that um you know she's expected to beat and really it was a question of when she was going to have that you know that breakthrough in terms of beating uh you know a Halep or uh you know a top five you know a top 5 player um you know at a grand slam level that was like that was my question mark so my i'm still thinking you know svitolina in her head i think she's got the right mindset and the right application that she's going to she can you know come through this you know top path of the the draw i i agree with you i'm i'm expecting a svitolina Sviontek semi-final um but i i yeah i'm i think svitolina given her experience you know, in this, you know, in this environment and, you know, at these stages of a Grand Slam, I think, I think that's going to pay dividends. And, you know, it's, it's always interesting kind of seeing these, these routes that, you know, people take to, you know, the, the latter ends of Grand Slams, because we've got someone like Sviontek who, you know, the, as I said, this is like her breakthrough. Uh, on the other hand, we've got someone like Svitolina who, you know, we feel like a, almost kind of like a Dominic team has just kind of been biding her experience, you know, from slam to slam at this level, um, you know, over the last, you know, you know, few years, few seasons. And I do think now she's kind of ready to, you know, to grab her moment and, uh, well, and, and make sure at least at the very least she gets to the final, uh, she mm. gets to the final um, from the top path. Yeah, I think she's been, you know, she's been there or thereabouts, hasn't she, for a, quite a while now. She's consistently been up in like the top 10, top five. She won the WTA finals a couple of years back. So we know she's got the talent. It's just the case of actually putting that critical performance together on, on that day, you know, when it really matters. And, um, yeah, if anyone wants a bit of an insight, perhaps into teams for Selena, then do go back and listen to our, our <laughs> pod with Andy Bettles. Uh, I think we did it a few months ago now. Um, cause that, you know, be a good one to listen to in advance of, of the quarters, perhaps. But, um, talking about Dominic team though, Joel, what did you make of his, his, his match against French wildcard Hugo 
guest on. A little pun there, wasn't it? A little pun between team and team. <laughs> team Sitalina. Love that. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I was, this was fantastic to watch on, uh, on Sunday afternoon on the TV, just lying, lying on my sofa. I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit, was a little bit hungover, but, um, um, it was a, it was a fantastic, absolutely gripping match. For me, it was, I mean, personally, for me, it was match of the, match of the tournament so far. Yeah. Um, mm. you know, it, it, I think it had everything and, um, you know, team obviously came through. Um, it was looking at one stage going to be a really comfortable victory for him. He went two sets up, six four, six four. But you know, Gaston had other ideas, pulled the third and fourth set back uh, before team kind of came through in the fifth, six three, after three hours and, and thirty two minutes. But really, it was just a kind of a. It's just a fantastic showcase, really, of you know a player who's in his you know in his pomp at the moment, um, and you know he's coming he's coming through the through the draw in Dominic Team, but presented with his first you know real challenge, and you know it was a challenge that really kind of came out of nowhere because you'd think you know U.S. Open champion Dominic Team two sets up on a clay court at the French Open, really he should be kind of closing that out, but I mean you know what a talent uh, you know Gaston is, and uh, you know I think you know Team it is. His press conference was talking about his specifically Gaston's drop shots were from another planet, and um, you know that the, that was particularly for me, kind of watching on the television. That was the that was really the shot that caught my eye, and and I was and I was sort of worried for team in the sense that you know if he doesn't figure out a way to kind of nullify this drop shot, then you know we could have been left with not only Simona Halep out, but but Dominic team out as well. Yeah, this this was, I think, yeah, so far the best match of the tournament. It had me laughing at the TV uh, <laughs> every time Gaston, you know, pulled off another one of those drop shots. I couldn't believe it. Um, and, you know, squealing at, at the TV as well. And, you know, it was such a shame that right at the end, you know, a couple of those drop shots, uh, you know, failed. And, and, you know, Gaston just kind of took his took his um, eye off the ball a bit and, and team managed to get the job done. And, I mean, I was not expecting after the first two sets, that it would ever go to five. I thought, okay, team's two sets up. What normally happens now is the opponent will just kind of fade away, you know, get tired, give up the ghost a bit. But I'm so, I was so impressed with Hugo Gaston because, you know, he didn't give up and he, he kept going and he kept going with his sort of slightly strange game plan and and it paid off. And, you know, that fourth set, he was, you know, 4-1 up, I think, you know, very quickly after taking the third and, and then suddenly we were into a fifth and it was kind of like, what is going to happen now? I mean, <laughs> I always thought team would, you know, would would do it because obviously the experience um, and everything. I, I didn't think that Gaston would actually win. Um, I mean, part of me I did. I, you know, I thought um, if he did, I mean, wow. But um, I, I was kind of expecting what happened to kind of happen eventually. But um, it was such an incredible match, really. I was just wasn't expecting it to be that that close at the end and it was very enjoyable to watch I have to say really enjoyed it and I think what was interesting I think what was kind of getting into my head you know as I, as I was watching it as a fan on the sofa was you know when when is all of what's happened in the last you know two three weeks or whatever going to catch up with Dominic team is it going to catch up to him you know at some point um you know from now to the end of the tournament because it felt like during that particularly in that fourth set i think it it, it did catch up to him and i was kind of wondering you know is dominic team tired is he just exhausted from all the efforts he's had to put in you know at the us open at the french open 
Is it all catching up to him at this very moment? And and Gaston was going to you know take advantage of it. But um, you know, credit to team, he obviously came through, you know, and and kind of reset and um, you know won won that fifth set. But I do think there's now going to be that question kind of going forward of how you know how much how much does Dominic team have left in the tank? And you know that is not a question you want to be asking with. Diego Schwartzman at the at the other side of the net um it is uh in his quarterfinal yeah I mean Schwartzman he's come through you know very comfortably hasn't dropped a set yet and he won against Lorenzo Sonego in the fourth round and you know Schwartzman is arguably playing perhaps the best tennis of his life at the moment you know he just reached the the Rome final you know beat Rafa on route to that and he's he's here he is in the quarterfinals against team and I mean a lot of people um Joel are saying that actually Schwartzman's got, you know, a real, real chance against Dominic Team. I think I think Jim Courier even said that he thinks Schwartzman is the favourite for that one. Um mm. I think that's over egging it slightly. Slight favourite. Yeah. I mean I I think maybe if it went long and it went to five and team was feeling, you know, fatigue uh, as a result of, you know, everything that's kind of happened in New York and everything, that maybe, you know, you could physically give Schwartzman the edge if it if it went that far. But I, I still would definitely say team is is the favorite i mean i i don't know it's it's kind of gonna be a different level for schwartzman isn't it playing team over five sets compared to the likes of sonego ah uh, it's a tricky one it's uh, you know you look at team you know he's a you know he's an absolute physical specimen on on the tennis court and you know i don't think uh i yeah i'm not i don't think fitness wise that's an issue i think it's more of a mental fatigue mental mental fatigue mm. exactly of uh, you know of you know what's what's been going on and um yeah. you know the fact that it's been a, such a quick turnaround different time zones I mean, it is surely going to catch up to you at some point. I mean, I know we were kind of saying that about, you know, Daniel Medvedev when he went on that US Open, uh, sorry, US Open, uh, that American hardcore uh, sort of streak. Mm. Um, and we were just like, it's going to catch up to him at some point. Um, but, you you know, that I think that now is just kind of going to be the question. And, you know, if there is one player, I think, who can exploit that, it's, it's Diego Schwartzman. Because as you said, he is in... He is in fantastic form. He's probably, um, you know, he's the only person to beat Rafa on a, you know, beat Rafa in on in Rome on clay. And I mean, he's dropped only thirty games. Um, you know, getting to the quarterfinals. I mean, he. I think he was actually a little bit surprised by how well um, he was kind of playing going into this tournament. You know, he wasn't expecting, you know, to do what he has done. But um, you know, he has looked. He has looked very, very classy, and you know he's been. He's presented with a couple of banana skins. Hasn't slipped so far, and now he's got the you know the opportunity to go after Dominic Team. And you know, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming as a Rafa fan, you're just hoping that he can. Even if he doesn't beat Team, he certainly has the capacity to kind of almost kind of take his legs away if if Team wants to kind of go you know further in the tournament. Yeah, if we go on the assumption that Rafa's going to beat Yannick Sinner, then yeah, I was just thinking, oh, if Team and Schwartzman have a right old ding dong, then hopefully Rafa will, <laughs> you know, that will help him in the semis. But um, I mean, we should just talk about the other quarterfinal. It is going to be Rafa against Yannick Sinner. I mean, Rafa came through against Sebastian Corda very comfortably. It was a bit of a rout. Um, I guess the most notable thing is probably that I think after the match, Rafa gave Corda a signed T-shirt, which was quite sweet because obviously Corda is a massive Rafa fan um, and on Twitter I saw that Corda was asking kind of fans to send him pictures of the two of them at the net which I thought was 
quite sweet as well. He's such a fanboy, honestly. This, this honestly felt like, you know, in football when like a Premier League side plays a non-league side and the non-league yeah. side are like, I need to make the most of this opportunity, get a, yeah. get a signed shirt from a top player so maybe I can put on yeah. eBay to make some money. Um, but no, um, yeah, I mean... I, I mean, I watched a bit of this match as well. And yeah, my overriding feeling was I was I wondered whether Corda showed Rafa too, almost like too much respect. He was, I think maybe he was a little bit starstruck as well. Cause um, yeah, it was, it was pretty one-sided and, you know, I think, you know, I think the question for me, for Rafa kind of going into, you know, the business end of the tournament is, you know, how, how, um, you know, is he undercooked kind of going into, you know, potentially a match with well, first of all with Yannick Sinner, but then potentially with with Dominic Team because, you know the the you know the um you know I think the matches he's played so far, the rankings of the players he's played so far, I think they've all been outside the top hundred. Yannick Sinner, yes, is a great clay court player, but I think I don't even think he's in the top seventy. I think I was I was reading. I mean, you know, do you do you get the feeling like is is Nadal really, you know, ready and prepared? Um, you know, yes, forget that he's obviously a you know twelve-time French Open champion. Um, but you know, in this tournament, and given the fact that you know he didn't play any tennis, you know, at the U.S. Open and on hard court, and you know he he did he went on obviously a bit of a run, but it came to a halt against Schwartzman in in Rome. Do you think? Do you think there's a, a question mark over whether you know how prepared you know Nadal is kind of going into mm. um you know, going into the yeah. you know, going into the second week of the tournament? I think so. I mean, I think I think Travaglia, uh, who he played in the third round, I think he might have been seventy-four or something in the world. But um, for sure, I, I do think that it is beneficial to have been tested somewhat uh, before you get to the latter stages, because I think otherwise you can maybe, you know, face a bit of an onslaught, perhaps you know, from Dominic Team in the semis, and you're not quite prepared or you know ready to deal with it quite in the same manner that you would be if you'd already had to overcome a couple of tests on route. It's about finding the balance, isn't it? I mean, I know you can only play who, who you've got to play. And I don't want Rafa, as you know, as a Rafa fan, I don't want him to have struggled against players, you know, in the hundreds or so, because that also wouldn't bode well if he'd been kind of, you know, having to fight against those players. But um, I think Sinner will for sure be a tough test. Um, so perhaps that will give Rafa a bit of, fine tuning that he might need I, I think also just going back to the team Gaston match perhaps this will actually really help Dominic team because you know he's had a someone playing slightly unconventionally against him really taking him unawares and you know he's ha- he, he had to really pick deep but I think actually that will will probably help him going into the latter stages potentially um, but yes I I don't know there have been instances though where Rafa has won the French Open without dropping a set and where he's just kind of <laughs> oh, through. Yeah. So I don't, I think it's it's kind of swings and roundabouts sometimes. Um, but I mean, let's just talk a bit about Sinner because, you know, he came through against Sasha Zverev in four sets. Um, you know, Sinner played very, very well. Um, and, you know, Zverev hasn't exactly been in, in the best form. Obviously, even in the US Open, he wasn't playing, playing particularly well, yet he managed to almost win the thing. Um, but obviously the big talking point from that match was that, Zverev played whilst feeling, in his words, completely sick. Um, you know, he was seen on court having medical 
treatment the doctors had to come into the court they kind of gave him like a nasal spray um he said he had been um, having a fever like the day before he wasn't really able to breathe properly basically covid symptoms and yet he turned up at the site and played his fourth round match yeah it's not a good look for the french open organizers is it and um you know i mean in the the press conference uh you know with with Zverev afterwards he was he was not particularly happy um you know when when a journalist suggested that he might be you know covid positive um and we should just say actually he he did post on his instagram today um that he has taken a test and it is negative um but at the same time you know there are going to be there are questions certainly around this match in terms of you know, should have should have Zverev, you know, hand raised to the French Open organisers and said, "Look, I'm displaying symptoms." Or, you know, the other the other question is, you know, should the French Open organisers, and I think this is the bigger question, should the French Open organisers, you know, should they have had more rigorous testing in place or procedures in place to make sure that, you know, even if a player wasn't going to hand raise, they were able to kind of they were going to be able to kind of. Um, you know, find them out because, you know, as you could imagine, you know, if you're in a, you know, if you're in a fourth round of a grand slam with a potential, you know, shot at glory, etc., are you really gonna like? Are you really gonna like? You know, ha- hold your hand up and say, "Sorry, I, I can't play my fourth round match because, you know, I'm, you know, potentially a little bit under the weather." When you might not even know if it's, you know, you're going to be COVID positive, or maybe you just got a, you know, maybe you've just got a cold. Um, I think there's a, there's definitely been a, you know, a lot, a, a big can of worms kind of opened up with this, you know, with this match. And um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting, particularly, I think around, I mean, particularly around, I think the fever point, you know, if he's displaying a kind of high temperature, because, you know, in my head, you know, I, you know, when I've been going into, you know, for example, I went into work a couple of weeks ago and, you know, I got the, the temperature gun kind of pointed at me kind of going in, you know, going into the office. And, um, you know, I, I, for example, I, I don't know if like the French Open are, are doing that to players because that seems like a very easy and practical thing to do. And it sounds like they're hmm. potentially not doing it. Yeah, I think then they're not doing it. Um, I would have expected them to have done it with everyone going onto the site, you know, fans, journalists, players, everyone. But because I know in America they were doing the the test, I think when players got on the the bus, the transport to the to the site, they were they were checking the temperature. I think you know, I know that those kind of forehead thermometers are not even the most accurate. They give some indication, but it's not necessarily the best. But you know, it would at least stop players perhaps trying to go under the radar and get away with it, you know, by going onto the site and hoping that no one would notice that they had a temperature or didn't feel so good. Um, if they had these kinds of measures in place, players would think, well, actually, there's no way I'm going to get away with this. I've got to, you know, come clean and open up. Um, also, I think, yeah, they were doing the tests every five days. I think Zverev was due to have one basically like the day after his match. I think they, you know, he'd been sent a reminder by the FFT. But really, you know, he could have got that test like the day before his match. Um, you know, it, he could have got that test that day and got the results back quite quickly. You know, they're in quite a lucky position where they can easily get a test if they want one. And then he would have known, wouldn't he, whether it was a positive or negative. And then, you know, if it was positive, obviously you'd hope he would have done the right thing and pulled out. But at least if he'd got the test back and it was negative before the match, he he wouldn't have had all this kind of 
you know hostility in the press conferences and and the questions from you know media and, and everyone alike you know and everyone judging you know his his lack of judgment I suppose for for what he actually did by coming onto the site and potentially you know risking everyone that he came into contact with I mean I mean what if Zianik Sinners caught caught what he had I mean you know what if it was Cody? what if Zarev had been positive and he gave it to Sinner and then Sinner gives it to Rafa I mean you you could like have a big chain of events that are totally affected by this should it have been a positive death I think also kind of a lot of you know you know, critics out there, uh, you know, of, of Zverev or of the opinion that, you know, this is a guy who, you know, we've, we already kind of saw, you know, um, you know, we are living in a pandemic. This was, you know, present like, you know, a few months ago and, you know, some of his behaviors back then, um, Hmm. also were not kind of, um, you know, didn't chime with the, you know, the current situation. And again, they're kind of looking at this moment and saying, you know, did you, did you learn anything from, you know, two, three months ago? Um, and it, you know, for, for, you know, for people who aren't in Zverev's corner, they'll say absolutely not because, you know, if he had learned something, he may, he would have, would have hand raised, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm a bit more, I think I'm a bit more on the side of, I think, you know, the French open prop, I feel like the French open could have done more in terms of, I don't think you can rely I don't think you can necessarily rely on on players in these situations where you know there's prize money at play, um, ranking points, you know, the sh- a shot at you know being a Grand Slam champion, um, you know, available. I don't think you can rely on these these guys to just kind of you know feel like it's their civic duty and do the honourable thing, um, you know, to you know put their hand up and and say, yeah, I think I, I think I'm displaying symptoms. I think there needs to be more rigor in terms of having procedures in place to make sure that you know regardless of you know the the person that everyone everyone is treated and everyone um you know you know everyone is in the same position and is you know make sure we have a you know a a safe tournament because at the moment it feels like i don't know it feels like with this grand slam compared to the us open we're having a bit more sort of we're having a bit more sort of uh mutterings from uh you know players and you know people on site in terms of you know how how covid secure um you know this this grand slam is yeah i mean there there were two positive tests from the girl singles um but nothing you know from any other kind of no other players apart from those have, have apparently tested positive but i mean in a way yeah i'm surprised there haven't been more because of the lack of measures in in place but at the same time i don't know necessarily yes they could have had temperature checks um on site but i think i don't know if Sverev actually had the fever during the match i think he said it was um like the night before the or the night before that um so i don't you know he could still have covid i mean you know he people could still have covid and, and not have a high temperature you can still be carrying it so there's only so much the tournament can do you've got to rely as well on individual duty it's the same as like in a society now like if i felt like I had symptoms and I had to go into work I should not go into work you know the the advice is that you isolate until you've been Mm -hmm. tested and found out the result so I don't think you can say it's one or the other it's it's a bit of both isn't it it's it's personal responsibility and needing the structures in place to to enable people to to make the decision that is the safest for for wider society but I mean I know that obviously I can understand where Zverev was coming from if he was thinking 
yes, it probably isn't COVID. You know, um, I don't want to give up on potentially making a Grand Slam quarterfinal because I've pulled out and it was just like a cold that's going to go away in a day. I can understand that rationale, but I just think with the the light of what's going on and also his position as a top sportsman that he needed to have thought about it in a slightly different way where all of the, you know, he knew that he was going to get a lot of questions. And I'm surprised actually that he admitted it so openly after the press conference. I, I personally, if I was him, I, I just would have been like, yeah, I didn't play so well. Wasn't feeling a hundred percent. Just feel quite tired. I wouldn't have gone and said, oh, I can't breathe. And I had a fever. Like <laughs> in a way that to me is quite, I don't know, like, naive of him to think that therefore there wouldn't be a big loan of questioning if he's just going to be really open and honest then i don't know surprising i mean listeners let us know what do, what do you think about you know sasha's very should he have should he have played this match should he have owned up or should it have been on the you know on the onus of french open um let us know but uh for now we're going to take a quick ad break and we're going to be back afterwards to talk about all the action from today Okay, Kim. So we've had the second half of all of the round four matches today, apart from uh, Onzibor, um, Onzibor and uh, Daniel Collins. On your Onzibor and Daniel Collins are going to be playing tomorrow because of the weather. But let's let's talk about the matches that have happened, and let's start with what you know. <laughs> Let's start with Petra Kvitova because, you know, we have literally just spoken about is Sviontek, is she now the inherited favourite from Simona Hallett? Because there are, you know, there are, I think, a significant number of fans and, you know, people in the press, people in the media who will probably say, you know, Petra Kvitova is, is looking, is looking very good. And, you know, even though she's not been the greatest kind of clay court player in the past. I mean, I think this is only her second appearance in a quarterfinal, um, you know, ever uh, at the French Open, I think first since 2012. Um, but yeah, a lot of people saying that she is now, she is now the favourite. And I mean, she came through quite easily against Zhang Shui, 6-2, 6-4, one hour, 25 minutes. Um I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, I feel like, again, we're on a collision course for potentially Kvitova Kenin semi-final um but do you think what what do you think about Kvitova where do you think she stands kind of going into uh the second week of the French Open well she's got Laura Ziegman next and you'd have to say that Kvitova is the favorite for that one given her you know form at Grand Slam she's a two-time slam champion and you know reached the AO final last year so I mean yes she's not been at this stage of Roland Garros for years but uh you know her her ability is is still there and her performance today was very impressive. You know, I mean, her opponent wasn't really, I don't think, ever going to particularly challenge her. You know, Kvitova just managed to completely overpower her, really. Um, so I would expect Kvitova to come through against Siegmund. I think, I think, yeah, that, that semi that we're all kind of looking at with that would be with Kenin is the maybe the... Um, Perhaps that will be the match for the the tournament, really, given the fact that they're the only two slam champions left in it. But um, yeah, I'd like to see Kvitova win another slam. I think, you know, she she was quite emotional, I think, today because, you know, obviously she had that horrendous knife attack a couple of years back. And I think it was three years ago that at Roland Garros where she came back from that, you know, it was her first tournament back. So I think, you know, to be back in at this stage, you know, in the last eight, 
of the tournament here it's it does mean a lot to her and I think if she can kind of channel that then I I wouldn't be surprised if she went and won the tournament Joel um you know she's always kind of there isn't she she's a dangerous player when she puts it all together it's interesting because you know we look at you know, look at Grand Sam record. She's got those two titles at Wimbledon. And I think that's where, you know, obviously the British public kind of fell in love with her. But we don't really associate Kvitova with being able to do it on a, on a clay court. And, you know, you look at, you know, her qualities in terms of, you know, she's a very powerful hitter from the baseline. And, you know, you, you know, obviously that works very well on a, on a grass court. Um, but yeah, I think kind of going into, you know, the French Open on a clay court, I was just wondering, you know, how, you know, how, how was that going to work? Because, you know, she's not really sort of a loopy, you know, heavy forehand topspin sort of player. She hit, likes to hit a little bit more flat, but I mean, she still has, you know, even on these courts, she still has kind of the, you know, she still has the power to hit kind of clean winners. I mean, she hit 23, um, against Zhang Shui today, um, and yeah, I just think, I just wonder if, you know, she's going to be able to just kind of blow away the competition with, with that sort of, that sort of play and whether she can, whether she can keep it up. I know she's going to have harder, you know, opponents, you know, further down the line with potentially, you know, Kemin, Kenin in the, in the semifinals, but, you know, Siegmund as well is going to be, you know, no slouch, um, so, yeah, it's 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 still kind of I think kind of there is danger there. Um, I don't think you know we, when we're looking at that bottom half, you know, before the the tournament, I don't think we were thinking that you know Kenin and, and Kvitova were going to be the last you know two seeds, um, the last two seeds left in on in the bottom half of the draw. But um, hey, that's that's where we're at, and you know this French Open has been unpredictable. Um, but Kvitova, I think, has shown so far that she's been a you know, she's been pretty rock solid and, and lived up. I mean, she's lived up to her seeding so far. Yeah, she hasn't come through with any major dramas. And I think Joel, you know, although Clay isn't her most natural uh, surface, I suppose, or the one that we would associate her with, she has won a few of the, the Clay Premier events. I know she's won Madrid a few times, I think. Um, so I think especially with indoor Clay, um, she's she's quite, she quite likes a bit of that. So... I don't think necessarily that, uh, you know, the fact that it's not a, a really fast score is going to be um, perhaps a massive issue. I, I don't know. I mean, Siegmund today, she came through against Paola Badosa uh, in straight sets. You know, she's after that first round against Mladenovic and the drama of the double bounce, she's uh, been making swift progress through. And some fans still don't let that go, Kim. <laughs> like literally with people are painting this sort of doomsday scenario of kind of like, or oh, Siegmund is going to win the French Open. Siegmund is, is going to win the French Open knowing how she's going to live for the rest of her life, knowing that she double bounced in that first round against Maddenovic. Um, oh, how will she live with it? Um, we're not in that doomsday <laughs> scenario just yet, but uh, uh, yeah. I love it's, the fact though, Joel, that uh, today Siegmund decided to, during her opponent's medical timeout, she went over to get a, a nice tub of noodles or something. Um, and, and she just sat there with a fork eating eating a little box of, of carbs. I know she said she she was kind of a bit low on carbs. She wanted a bit of a a sugar rush, but she didn't really fancy like, I don't know, a banana. She wanted some something really substantial. So she asked her physio to get her some uh, some grub. And she just sat and ate it, as you do. So I, I love, I love how you've put on the script: ordered takeout via her physio. Is that the, is that the, <laughs> the done, new is delivery that the done thing nowadays? Yeah. Apparently so. Um, it's really interesting though, because it's not something. 
you know, we see, I, I don't think I can remember. I mean, the, the, it instantly sprought, uh, brought to my mind uh you know maybe for british fans uh there's been you know marcus willis uh if i think a few years ago uh, had a can of coke and a snickers bar uh on a changeover <laughs> um, which it gave, it gave me kind of yeah flashbacks of that but i've never really seen like a this was like a proper meal it looked like a proper meal and i i always wonder like how does that how does that sit well when you're playing like a, a tennis match because um uh, yeah, I was a bit. I was a bit like, "Oh, is that was that is that such a good idea?" You think it would settle on your stomach, you know? That it, well, it would. Maybe she has a really fast digestion. I, I don't know. Or she just didn't think about that. She just wanted the carbs. What would you What would you order if you were if you're in a position and you had a physio and you wanted to put in an order? What What would be your go to? Well, well, if I was a professional athlete, I suppose I should be good and have like a gel or you know one of those sort of. I don't know, <laughs> electrolyte gels. But I mean, I have to say, you, you scoffed at Marcus Willis saying a, uh, a Snickers bar, but I probably have a Mars <laughs> bar or something. Oh, <laughs> no, but when, when I was younger, after I used to do like swimming or whatever, I'd, I or a run or something, I'd always crave, you know, those Mars milkshakes you get, like... I used oh, yeah. to have one of those as my like recovery drink um, when really I should have just had milk or or whatever. But I was just like, no, I want the chocolate as well. But yeah, I'd go for some chicken wings. I don't, oh. I don't care what, what situation. <laughs> I don't care what situation is. I go for some spicy chicken wings. Um, Amazing. But yeah, uh, yeah, but um, yeah, that was that was a bit that was that was quite surprising. I know. Yeah, Bedosa was. I think she was troubled by her back in that match. Yeah, I saw her, you know, kind of flat out, kind of taking a, a medical time out for it. But um, I mean, Kvitova won. Um, you know, won their match you know, at the U.S. Open in 2015, 6-1, 6-1. So, uh, I mean, again, I don't. I'm not expecting too much of a surprise. There. I feel like Kvitova, you know, will come through that. Um. Let's kind of go on to um, the other kind of two matches. One has taken place, one has not taken place. The one that took place today, um, last uh, French player, um, last French player in the women's draw, uh, Fiona Ferro versus uh, Kenin um, of the United States. And, you know, Kenin came through that 2 6, 6 2, 6 1. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, I, I watched the first set of this and I actually thought, oh, Ferro. Farrow's going to win this, but Kenin, I think, you know, she's just got that. I mean, I think she's got as much as she's a good tennis player. I think mentally, I think she's quite, she's superior to a lot of her, um, you know, her opponents and her rivals. And regardless of what situation she finds herself in, she's always, she always seems to be able to kind of, you know, claw herself out of a, you know, sticky situation. Um, and I think she was able to do that today. And she just, I mean, she really just turned it on and, and gave, Pharaoh no chance in sets you know two and three I mean six two six one it was you know it was quite a turnaround from that first set yeah I thought it was going to be much closer than that actually once Pharaoh had taken that first set and and Kenin kind of was a break up in the second I thought oh got a real match in our hands here but yeah it just kind of the more it went on the more it went away from Pharaoh and and Kenin yeah she she totally upped her her game after the end of that first set and uh, you know she she had got that early break and then Pharaoh came back and rolled off you know, six games on the trot and, you know, much to the delight of the of the home crowd. But um, yeah, I think Kenin, she's, she kind of flies under the radar, doesn't she? Because I think she has a very strong, 
you know mental attitude but it's it's almost a very quiet kind of fortitude that she has on the court and you know I really respect that because she doesn't make a song and dance about anything she just kind of gets on with it and I think that's that's actually quite nice um so yeah I mean you bit, wouldn't bit put- weird that her coach though bit weird <laughs> that her coach though was pictured uh sitting next to Pharaoh's coach I think he moved that is a bit weird you know, during yeah. during the match and there was all sorts of conspiracy theories on like uh was Pharaoh's uh coach coaching her from the sidelines and Kenan wanted to sit next to him to like make sure it wasn't happening oh um, right I mean I, I'm not <laughs> oh, gonna lie they the, each other or it was like them well, trying yeah, to psychological yeah I think, yeah, I I think know, it was I think out. it was water <laughs> Yeah, I think it was more to do with that. Um, I, I think well, the, the thing that I think a lot of people universally would not in agreement on was like they were literally sitting right next to each other, which again was not a good look. No, um, they should know, be for, the, for the French Open. Um, and I, you know, I do think there is an, o- I think there is an overall emerging picture here in terms of, you know, the French Open organizers and the, um, you know, the tournament organizers maybe need to look at, you know, the, protocols they have in place for example because yeah i feel like we're getting it from you know different aspects whether it's from the players or whether it's from the you know the tv pictures um but yeah that was a bit of a that was a bit of a bizarre situation to see um if i was pharaoh's coach i would have then just done a passive aggressive like i don't know shuffle two seats along uh after <laughs> kenin's dad had like turned up Love you know it. it's like yeah. if someone's i don't know sits on the train opposite you without a mask you're like Ah, I feel like I should go to the next carriage now. Um, but uh, yes, <laughs> Pharaoh's coach literally left as quick as possible once the 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 victory the the match was decided. Um, mm. So Kenan, yeah, goes on to the quarterfinals and will play Ons Yabor or Danielle Collins. Uh, that match was postponed due to bad weather from today. They had a nice warm up though in the rain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what, what was that about? Because you messaged me saying. Are these guys actually playing? Because, yeah, they 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 warmed up in the rain. They made them come out onto court whilst it was still raining um, and and they did their warm up. And I think both Yabor and Collins were a bit like, um, what is going on? Like they had sort of bemused expressions on their faces. And then, you know, like John McEnroe, you cannot be serious sort of. Basically. And then, you know, Carlos Ramos, who was umpiring, you know, I think he wasn't happy either. And and basically, you know, they just kind of, took their bags and went off before like you know they actually started playing um because it was still raining and i i really don't know why they brought them out it was just absolutely pointless i don't know who made that decision but you know we've seen bad decision making from the, the french open before to be fair with, with the scheduling especially last year so um yeah i mean they've been waiting around all day as well so it was it was a bit bizarre but but there it, we go frustrating exactly we'll all be looking forward to it tomorrow morning instead yeah i mean that match i mean just just for context i mean there was there was you know potentially an argument to put that match on under the roof um under the roof instead of um altmaier versus a Karenio booster because um the winner potentially of your ball collins would play three uh three matches back to back to back um so uh, yeah, uh, you know, I think it was a difficult decision. I I still think it was the right one, but um, yeah, it's just a shame they couldn't get it done today. But um, yeah, let's quickly move on to the the men's draw. I know we we're kind of running out of time, but um, yeah, Sissipas uh, came through Grigor Dimitrov today, straight sets six three seven six six two. Uh, we'll face Rublev, which is a repeat of the um the Hamburg final, <laughs> which was on uh 
well, it was on last Sunday. Uh, Rublev came through uh, Marton Fuchovic uh, in four sets. Fuchovic will be kicking himself. I think he was up in three of those sets um, and, you know, managed managed to somehow lose. I think, uh, you know, great credit to Rublev. He really kind of, you know, I think has matured quite a lot actually over the last few seasons. And I think that, you know, this was a prime example of that. Um so, I mean, that match, I think, for me, promises to... That match promises a lot because the Hamburg final was a real, uh, you know, ding-dong over best of three. I'm fully expecting Sissipas Rublev to be another ding-dong, but over, over best of five. Yes, I think that would be quite a nice one. And I think Novak would be quite happy to to play the winner of that in the semi-final. Uh, a very tired winner, perhaps. Um, yes, I mean... Rublev came through because Martin Fuchovic, when I saw a bit of that match, he was had a set point to get the fourth set, so it would have gone five. But uh, yeah, Rublev, I think, managed to get that job done and avoid it going on and on and on. And I mean, let's not forget that both Rublev and Sitsipas, they both could have gone out in the first round. You know, they were both two sets down, uh, you know. Sam Query served the match against Rublev 5-2 in that third set. So they could both have been at home right now and they've managed to... Um, you know, to actually claw their way through since since those sort of dodgy first rounds, and I, I'm sure that first round, you know, lag was was due to the the Hamburg final, and you know, it does raise the question: Is it a good idea to play the week before a slam, especially when you know the final is going to be on the first day of <laughs> of the slam itself? I know. <laughs> I guess it's paid off for them. Do you think? Do you think it's paid off for them in the quarterfinals? Look at the results. It has done. They're both in the the quarterfinals. Even so, I, I'm I I still think I'm in the camp of I just don't think if I was a top player, I just don't think it's a good idea to play the like the week the week before. Um, you know, maybe the you know the situation at the moment they felt like they needed to grasp absolutely every single opportunity to get on a tennis court, and that's why you know they they felt like they needed to play Hamburg. But um, yeah, I just think ah, oh, I just think I still don't think it's the you know the, the best idea in terms of kind of you know if you're playing in a final on that weekend and then you're going straight into a grand slam and you're expecting to go deep, you know, I don't know how fatigued you might be kind of, uh, you know, going, you know, from one to the other when you might want, you know, a bit more time to settle. Um, So for me, I still don't, I still am a bit like, I don't know why top players play those tournaments the week before, but at the same time, you know, both in the quarterfinals, both, um, you know, both doing well. And, you know, they should, they should give, they should give fans a bit of a treat, I think, uh, for their quarterfinals. And Svitolina, at- um, I was just going to say, Joel, Svitolina also won Strasbourg uh, the week before. So she's, ah, she's mm. done all right. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's a risk. It's a bit of a risk, isn't it? You know, you risk uh, an injury sort of last minute happening and a fatigue, but it, it, it can, can be helpful, especially, I mean, I guess you, you know, maybe these players know, know what's good for them. They know that they need that kind of, kind of real run of form going into, going into a big event. But um, I mean, let's just look at what match was moved on to Chatrier, um this evening, PCB against Daniel Altmaier. PCB has won that pretty comfortably. I think it was six two seven five six two. So uh, it will be a rematch, Joel, of the fourth round of the US <laughs> what Open. Are the odds? What Novak are the Djokovic, odds? Pablo um, Carreno, Buster. Um, so I mean, PCB, he's done well though. You know, second uh, slam in a row where he's gone deep, and you know he's exceeded. I think his his seeding, his potential. He's 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 making the most of things, and he'll be probably just hoping for another. 
you know, a surreal <laughs> experience in the next yeah. round again and again. It's Novak. not going to happen. Well, I they mean, say lightning doesn't strike twice, but well, perhaps it might. <laughs> no, I, I, I actually think lightning has struck twice because, uh, Kim, we we both watched that match and uh, between sorry the, the match between Novak Djokovic and Karen Kachanov today, and Novak Djokovic actually did hit. A linesman, but albeit accidentally, no aggro involved. Yeah. Um, which was really, I mean, I was just like, what? It was a sort of, what are the odds? Um, what are the odds sort of moment? Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I just, just a very quick final word on, on Novak Djokovic, because again, similar to Rafael Nadal, um, you know, he's come through very easily so far, um, straight sets wins. And, you know, we were talking about Rafael Nadal, whether he's going into, you know, the back end of the French Open undercooked. And, you know, I think, I feel like with Novak Djokovic, even though he's kind of gone through the same route, not dropped any sets, um, kind of very similar path. I actually think he has been tested and Karen Kachanov today, even though the scoreline was six four six three six three, I don't actually think that did justice to to Kachanov's performance. Who, um, you know, I thought put up a really good game and actually was. I think actually he was worth a set to be honest. But I mean, it just shows you how well Djokovic is playing. I mean that um, specifically the, the that drop shot get to make turn into a lob. Um, yeah, I don't know if you were watching the match was absolutely uh, incredible. Um, but yeah. It's it still feels like we're we're going you know we've got the the Djokovic procession sort of going on but um who knows maybe Karenio Buster will um provide him a, a sterner a sterner test maybe he'll be his boogeyman um but yes <laughs> I mean yeah I mean Novak I, I thoroughly expected him to to come through as he did it felt like every time Hatchinov kind of got a bit of a, a moment uh you know a break back or or he uh whatever you know Novak would then just break him straight back and he wasn't able to to consolidate anything so such is life Joel such is life um just before we wrap up a note on the doubles uh unfortunately Britain's Joe Salisbury and uh partner Rajiv Ram are out of the doubles they lost in the quarterfinals against uh Pavic and Suarez so that was a bit of a, a close one it was 7-5 in the third set so a bit of a shame Jamie Murray is playing tomorrow though in in his quarterfinal against last year's champions joel i think you know you know last year's <laughs> champions you have a bit of a yeah. thing for them don't you kravitz oh, and knees germans yes. yeah your faves um and and joel i have to say i just before we started recording i was watching with freddie nelson in the oh, quarters against the one top of your seed. favorites yeah one of my favorites yeah he's playing with tim puetz of germany um unfortunately they had too much points and then they lost uh oh, in the dear. last set oh, break. i know gutted so oh, gutting yeah bit wow. of a shame but um alas such as such as life um and then actually the women's doubles um you know talking about sophia kennan i think she's still in the women's doubles with uh bethany matic sands and Iga Sviontek was uh, also playing today in, in the women's double. So I think she she's into the quarters. Um, so, yeah, lots lots still going on with, with those. We've got a lot of matches tomorrow. We've got five singles matches on Philip Chatrier because of the uh, delayed Collins-Yabor match. And then we've got, yeah, all the doubles quarterfinals and 
So yeah, it's uh, I mean, phew. we could very well have that rare thing of a doubles and singles champion. Yeah. I know I can't remember the last time that happened, but maybe it happened recently, and I just I'm just unaware of it. But um, that definitely could be on the on the cards. Um, we will just have to wait and see. Um, but yeah, this wraps it up for this episode of the Passing Shot, our round four catch up. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. Um, if you want to stay up to date on the rest of Roland Garros, make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Overcast, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts and you are enjoying the show, make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And you can follow us on social media at Passing Shot Pod. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So do get in touch. And if you'd like to email the show, you could also do so passingshotpod at gmail.com. And we will be back on Wednesday evening to round up on all of the quarterfinals action. So I hope you can join us then. We'll be, t- we'll be tweeting as well tomorrow and for the rest of the, the tournament as well. So if you want to get more of the passing shot, you can follow us on, on Twitter. But uh, yeah, we will be back on Wednesday for our quarterfinal catch up. And we hope to see you then. See you again shortly. Bye.